Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good, 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 good. New Year morning to you. My name is Mark, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet. And I want to welcome you and all of those who are joining us online this morning. Just your being here says so much about you. You want God out in front of your life. And one of the things I love about this time of year is that it's like pushing a reset button. It is like uh, getting to kind of erase the whiteboard over here and and let God continue some of the good things that you've been seeing him do in your life. But also, uh, let's start over with some of the things that uh, maybe need to be corrected or changed or upgraded in some way. I don't know if you're like me, but it seems like uh, everybody we encounter these days is going through some kind of difficult thing. And these last two years, I think we would all agree, have been just flat out brutal. We could use uh, a, a tremendous amount of hope right now. And when I, when I think about hope, I think we're kind of in a crisis of hope, actually. And when I think about hope, I'm, I'm not thinking about uh, positive thinking or just kind of squinching your eyes together and willing yourself into a better mood. But I'm talking about the confident anticipation that goodness is coming. And that usually is a result. In fact, it's emphatically a result of building our lives on something truthful, on the truth. Now, if we just left our, uh, our, our hopefulness and our future um, in the realm of on, on the foundation of what we hear in the news, then we could be in a heap of trouble because here's what happens. If, if we get news today, it's usually a result of uh, something yesterday was inadequate, so they added to that today, which means probably tomorrow, even if it was true, that there's gonna be more they're gonna add to that. So we don't have the complete picture just if we built our lives on the basis of what we hear in the news. Or if we build our lives around just uh, the opinions of others, that's not gonna work for us. Even our favorite people who love us and who we trust and who bring their best to us, they could be having a bad day. Maybe they didn't get a good night of sleep. Maybe they're not feeling very well. And if we, we, we build our life on their opinion, then it's very possible that uh, it's not gonna be the right thing for us. So we need some hope. There's a picture in the Bible of a person who I wanna be like. This person shows up in Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked, in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. This is a whole lot like the Bible, isn't it? And who meditates on God's word day and night. Now this person, look at this word picture. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. This indicates the fact that we're gonna go through difficulty this side of heaven. Every person here needing a word of hope this morning recognizes that there are difficult times that cause our leaf to have a chance to wither anyway. But this person, whatever they do, they prosper because they know that God is out in front of their life somehow. 
There, this person is showing that there's no other habit that we can do that will trans, there, there's no more habit that is more transforming in our lives than to, to study and then act upon God's word. Act upon is the key to that. We have to uh, uh, apply what we know to be true. So we read what it says, and if it's true, then we move on that. We act upon it, and that's what puts the whole thing in motion in our lives, right? Jesus even said to his disciples, he said, if you hold to my teaching. In other words, if we, if, if we obey what we think it says, if we seek to put it into action, then you're really my followers. You're my disciples. You're my learners, and you're saying you trust me, you believe this is true, you're gonna find hopefulness in this, and you're my true followers. He says, then you're gonna know the truth, the thing you're gonna build your life on, and that's gonna set you free. Oh, that's the advantage of and the purpose behind God's word, the truth. Now, God's word is more than just uh, something designed to increase our knowledge or uh, to you know, make us be heady, but it's designed to transform our lives so that we are, we become free people. We just sang about that. I loved our worship this morning and it's God's word that sets us free. Even Paul, the apostle said, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Oh, okay, so am I free? He says, so keep standing firm on that, that truth, and don't go back and being subject again to a yoke of slavery, anything other than God's truth. It'll set you free. And people who live free know what it's like and enjoy the privilege of living forgiven. We don't have it all figured out and we don't do it all right, but we, we're free people, we get to live forgiven. And we get to reflect Jesus as we're moving through life together and we enjoy the life that God designed for us to live before we were even, before we were even born. We were set apart for the life that he has for us to live. Now, have you noticed that authentic, died in the wool, honest to goodness, surefire followers of Jesus are the happiest people on earth? Now, are they the most perfect people on earth? No because we're never gonna have it all figured out. When we step across the line of faith and into a relationship with him, it is a journey in which God is moving us out of the old and into the new. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, says Paul, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds, believing in the truth of God's word, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, that'll never fully take place this side of heaven. I love the fact that when we get to see him face to face, whether he comes back before I finish up today, which would be great, <laughs> or when we go to him, we're gonna be like him. John said that. He said, it does not yet appear what we're gonna be like, but we know that when he appears, we're gonna be like him because we're gonna see him as he is. Oh, I cannot wait to be like Jesus. Then it'll be complete, but this side of heaven, it's incomplete, right? But we're in process because we stepped across the line of faith and gave him the opportunity to begin transforming us. So what I love is that authentic followers of Jesus know where to find the truth and they build their lives on that. 
and they trust God's word as a handbook for living. Now, the Bible is like any other, unlike any other book in the Bible in that it is alive. How do we know that? Well, John, Jesus' really good friend who wrote the gospel of John, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then he said, and the word became flesh, stepped out of heaven in the form of Jesus, God's expression to us, and lived among us. And we got to see his glory, full of grace and truth. I think God put those words in order on purpose. I like to think that we serve up the truth of God's word on a platter of grace. That's what this is. This is a platter. And we serve it up. And God wants us to be gracious followers of him who communicate his word to others. But I love the fact that it's, he's the truth. So since Jesus is not here, but he's alive, we know that he, he came out of the grave. So he's in heaven and he's coming back, but he's alive. So the word is alive and no other book in the history of books written can we say that it is alive. It's, it is a living book and it transforms, it teaches, it corrects, it trains us. It, it's like a, a, a guardrails. It gives us a compass for living and so that we can achieve some wisdom to live by. And it's the, 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 most, the primary way in which we get to continuously hear the voice of God today. Now, we feel so strongly about this as a staff that we have been over the last couple of months meeting together to step into this year, the year of the Bible. And the, between the trailheads of Genesis and Revelation, the beginning and the end, there are all kinds of themes that thread themselves through scripture. And so Nate's gonna come next week and get us started on this year of studying God's word together and looking at these threads. And it's just gonna be thrilling. This morning, we wanna look at the fact that God is a covenant-keeping God. What does that mean? Well, a covenant is a binding agreement. And when God enters into covenant with us, then he's waiting on us to believe that he's true about that, that he's, he can be trusted. And then we step into that in obedience and say, yeah, I, I believe that and let's do this together. Now, here's the thing about God. He will never, ever, 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 ever go against his promises and not fulfill his promises because he's a promise-keeping, covenant-making God. He will always be faithful and he will always be loving as our covenant-keeping God. So here's the way it happens when we read some of these threads through scripture. It started with a guy by the name of Noah and God tells Noah, taps him on the shoulder one day and says, I need you to build a boat because I'm gonna put water all over the, this world and I've trusted you and your family because you've trusted me and so this is what I'm gonna do. So Noah stepped into that agreement that's what made the covenant come together as a binding agreement. God said it, he believed it, and he moved on it. Well, so there's a sequence that takes place um, in the patriarchs of the Bible, our fathers. It started with Noah, and then fast forward to a man by the name of Abram. Same thing. Let me, let's, let's read what happened to Abram. God taps him on the shoulder one day and he says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I'm going to show you. 
He says, I'm gonna make you into a great nation and I'm going to bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those and, and, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the per- peoples of the earth are gonna be blessed through you. So God says, give me a high five right there. Five different blessings in that one passage. Boom. Okay, Noah, you and I, we're on this, right? And so, um, so I love that the next part says, so Abram, whoops, go back. Yeah, so Abram went. He believed God. He went as the Lord had told him. Abraham was 75 years old. You know what I love about that? <laughs> I think it was, uh, that's significant, but that, that tells me that no matter how old you are, you can still obey God, right? And so it, it was such an interesting thing what happened. Let's look at the next passage. Fast forward to, to Genesis 15. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants are going to be strangers in a, company, uh, in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but God will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, are going to go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here into this spot. This is the land of promise. I'm making a covenant with you. I'm promising you. And so as you go, recognize that I'm seeing down the road 400 years. No, Abram didn't understand that fully, but he moved on it. And there is a sequence in the lives of these guys, Abram, or Noah, Abram, and right on up to, uh, to who came after Abram, which was, which was Isaac, and then uh, uh, then came Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. The next to the youngest son was Joseph. And, and Chris mentioned a little bit about Joseph's story this morning, which is great. And with each of these guys, God would speak into their life. And here's what they would do. They would hear God speak. They would step out in obedience. They, as, as they did, they, they would build an altar. And they would worship God because they believed in him. And then as they walked that out with God, it's like taking a, some binoculars and he, and, or like if you go to the eye, eye doctor and the eye doctor says, it look, does it look better here or here? Here or here? Well, with the binoculars, it's like, oh yeah, I can see a little bit better down there. And so that's what would happen. God would, they would move in obedience and then that kind of gave God the opportunity to know that he was trusted and I can give you more details about the vision. Isn't that true of your life? Nobody has it all figured out the minute they step into a real relationship with Jesus. And so I love that sequence that God would speak and give more details to the covenant. So it was true of Noah, it was true of Abram, whose name became Abraham, which was a ratification or, a, or, 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 or it was a, a symbol to say, because you believed in me, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. And it was the same with uh, <clears throat> right on down the road. So we know the story of Moses. Moses was, uh, he, was he, he, he grew up in, uh, he, he was a Hebrew, but God preserved his life because he could see down the road and what he had planned for Moses. Moses was a big part of the plan of the 400 years that he was, that God had talked to Abram about. So, Moses grows up, his life is preserved 40 years in, in Egypt, in Pharaoh's palace. And at the age of 40, 
he sees an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew. And so he kills him. Buries him in the sand, and now he's a fugitive because he got found out. So he bails, and for the next 40 years, he's got this mindset, this is the way I view it, that I am nothing but a shepherd in the wilderness of Paran. I'm just a shepherd. I'm a fugitive. I killed somebody. So this is, this is my life. So for the next 40 years, he's actually being trained as a shepherd. He had no idea. God was training his servant so that when he met him at 80 years old, he says, hey, Moses, guess what? I'm the God of second chances, and I need you to move my children out of bondage in Egypt. And it's like this. Okay, first of all, this is weird. You're speaking to me from a bush that's on fire. That's, I've never seen anything like that in all my 40 years of roaming around here. And uh, he's like, I don't know. I mean, I'm nothing but a shepherd. And I am not eloquent and I can't speak and on and on it goes. And he's looking at his own insecurities and his inadequacies. And God says, no, here's the deal. I am going with you. God will never, ever call us to a task that he doesn't adequately, completely, and super abundantly uh, equip us to do. Never. So he says, Moses, here's the deal. All right. I'm going to send to you Aaron. And by the way, here's a staff. Pick up your staff and watch what I'm going to do with that staff. Supernatural things happened with his staff. He was equipped. And God continued to do great things through Moses. Now, what happened was that, um, uh, well, let's just take a look. It's here in the book of Exodus chapter 17. The Amalekites came. Now, by the way, by way of background, the children of Israel had seen God do unbelievable things. They'd been in bondage for 400 years, and God, through Moses, is doing all these miraculous things through his servant and through his staff. And over and over, they'd seen God do miracle after miracle. He not only provided for them a means to get out of there, but he did exactly what he told Abram he was going to do. He gave him, the, 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 the children of Israel got to, leave with all kinds of gold and jewels and silver and great things. I don't know what they were going to spend it on, really, but they had it because God had promised it. So they had seen God provide for them food and water, and they were watching this amazing leadership through Moses, and they were still, oh, I don't know if we can trust God. Well, all of a sudden, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim, and Moses said to Joshua, this is the first mention of the commander of, his, of the Israeli army at that point. He says, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites, as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. <laughs> I was thinking about this this week because I am a major college football fan. And I thought, wouldn't that be so cool if I could watch that game like this? And my team is winning, but I go to the restroom and I come back and all of a sudden they're behind by seven points because I lowered my hands. When Moses grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. 
Aaron and her held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. By the way, <laughs> I'd never thought of this until this week when I was reading it. Who held up Aaron, Aaron and her's hands? I don't know. Maybe they had a servant as well. But Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. With Joshua and with Aaron and her and his staff and God had made provision. Now, then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. That sounds a whole lot like God's word, right? It wasn't written at that point, but God wanted us to write it down. Have you noticed if you write in a journal that you can come back a year later and it's like, wow, I, I forgot that God did that. I forgot I was going through that a year ago. And I like to think so much happens in a year. It's amazing. So you come back a year later and you think, wow, that is really something was happening in my life over the course of a year. Now, I also like to think that God never forgets what we fail to write down. What do I mean by that? Well, when we write it down, we come back and we realize, oh yeah, God was working in my life, wasn't he? But if we, if, we don't, if we don't write it down, we don't even think about it. But God never even forgets what we don't write down because he's so on board with your life. He knows every detail, every number of hairs on your head, every thought you think before you think it. But when he says, write this on a scroll is something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because he's gonna need to be reminded of the fact that I'm a covenant keeping God. He says, because I'm, I'm gonna completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Why? Because they were God's enemy. They didn't care anything about God. They, they, they were nothing but evil and they came to do evil against God's people. All right. Moses built an altar and called it the Lord, my banner, the Lord, my banner. You know what I love about that? A banner was a shining ornament on top of a pole and it was the rallying point for the Israel troops such that Whenever that banner would be raised, they would need to regroup. It was a battle technique, tactic. And Moses is saying, God is my rallying point. And he wants us to come back to him. He's our banner. He's the one who's over us. He's the one who's loving and guiding and shepherding and transforming and and taking us to where he designed for us to go before we were even born. He is Jehovah Nisi. He is our banner. He is our rallying point. And he wants us to remember him. Well, I like to think that there are some truths in that scripture, that story that we see that transpose over into what we call timeless truths. What was true about Moses and the children of Israel is true about us today. The first one is that God sees clearly into our future. Now, when I think about, okay, so for 400 years, your, children, uh, your descendants, Abe, are going to be in bondage. And then I'm gonna show up and I'm, gonna, I'm going to deliver them. He didn't even give specifics of the name of the person that was gonna do it or how he was gonna do it. He just said, I've got this figured out. 
And they're going to come back to this place right here. Because I'm a covenant-keeping God. I'm a covenant-maker and a covenant-keeper. We're going to come right back here, and they're going to be loaded up with all kinds of things, and I'm going to give you a high-five blessing. God sees as clearly into your future as he did Abram's. The second thing is that God has enemies, and his kids are going to face his enemies. We know that. That's why these last couple of years have been so difficult. It's, it, our hearts have been uh, inflamed in many senses of the word. It's like, what is going on? That's why we need to go back to the truth and make sure that this is where we hear God say over and over and over 365 times. This is a thread through scripture from the trailhead of Genesis to the trailhead of Revelation. Do not fear. It's the number one command in scripture. One for every day of the year. In fact, some believe there's, there's 365, so there's one for leap year. Do not fear. Why would God say that? Because he's got this and he's got you. God has enemies and you're going to face his enemies. His number one enemy. You know who he is. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But let me tell you something about his enemy. We're told by John, Jesus' good buddy in 1 John, that greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. He's called the prince of the air, the prince of the earth. And when he hears the prayers of faithful followers of Jesus, he's like this. He's just flat scared of you. You are dangerous. And we're gonna face God's enemies, but we need not fear because we build our lives on the truth of the, of the word. Now, God completely equips us for battle. That's what I love. He gave Moses, Aaron, her, Joshua, and his staff. And he also had experience. What I love about Moses' life is he stepped into that covenant conversation in faith and he began to walk it out. And so when you get 40 years down the road, oh, He's so my hero because he was reluctant 40 years earlier. I can't do this. And God said, if you'll just trust me, I want to carry out my plan. And I'm going to use you to get our children back to the land of promise. And so at this point, at 120 years old, Abram, or excuse me, Moses was a type of Christ. He had been so transformed when God was so frustrated with the children of Israel, Moses said, Lord, kill me. Don't kill them. Where have we heard that? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Wow. I want to be a man like Moses. He's my hero. But he completely equips us for battle. And we saw him do that in the life of Moses. I think a fourth timeless truth is that God provides allies for our endurance. Now, this is to me the essence of your inner core. People who you can trust who are followers of Jesus. It would be like a small group. 
We believe firmly about small groups around here because here's what happens. We can become so tunnel visioned on the stuff we're going through. It's like this. Oh, this just hurts so much and I can't see beyond that. And your inner core of people, they're right outside your tube and they're just whispering to you, you've got this. God loves you. You can handle it. Here's what he says. Don't forget his truth. Remember, remember, remember. That's the importance of an inner core. And I think a fourth thing is that God has given his word so we will remember. If we don't have our inner core and our small group handy, then we better make sure that we position ourselves every day to be where we can hear God's voice through his word. Wow. (laughs) I had a... uh, I had a friend who came to preach for me one Sunday when I was a pastor of another church. I was going to be gone for the week. I wasn't going to have a chance to prepare a message. <laughs> so I invited him to come and speak. And, um, I was, but I was going to be there for the weekend because I wanted to hear him speak. And when he got up to speak, he took God's word, opened it up like this, and he just started smelling it like this, wafting it into his nostrils. He said, oh. God's word. Mm -mm. Well, (laughs) that was such a word picture for for me. When I was a new follower of Jesus, I stepped across this line of faith and into a relationship with him. And my brother led me to Christ. He's eight years older than me and and, and his wife. They became like my immediate spiritual mentors. And they gave me a Bible. And it had my name scrawled in on it. It was a leather Bible. It was so cool. But I could not understand that for anything. Even though I had God's spirit in my heart because he helps us interpret God's word, God's Holy Spirit. But I could not understand the King James Version. Now, if you're a King James believer, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm so grateful that you can understand it. But I couldn't. There's these and thousand just weird knowledge in there. I couldn't understand that. And I told my mentors that. And they said, well, try this out. And they got me this Bible that was called the Living Bible. It was a paraphrase of the Bible. And (laughs) it was called The Way. This is The Way, which is the name of the early church, by the way. So I started reading that. And I started falling in love with God's word. I love that. But after a while, I realized, oh, and then they, they, they got me, I kept talking about, you remember that leather one you got me before? That was really cool. And so I kind of was hinting, and sure enough, they got me another uh, living Bible with my name scrawled on it. How cool was that? Well, so after a while, I got to thinking, you know, I don't want to read just someone's paraphrase of what they put from into layman's terms from the Bible, which is fine. It helped me get going. But I really want an honest-to-goodness translation. Now, I was super broke. I was going to college, and my sister and brother-in-law came to Christ about the same time I did, my little sister, and, and we're at a bookstore, and I'm super broke. They're broke, and I don't know why we were in a bookstore thinking we could buy something, but we were roaming around looking at Bibles. And I found this this, this thing called the layman's Bible. And it had four translations in it. And you could read a verse in one translation and all four of them is like, wow, really, really cool. So this guy came over to me and he had heard me talking to my sister and brother-in-law the fact that I'd really like that Bible, but I don't have any money. So this guy came up to me and he said, uh, sir, tap me on the shoulder, kind of like God did Noah and Abram. He says, uh, my wife and I have been talking 
And if it'd be all right with you, uh, we both agreed, we'd like to buy that Bible for you. If you would let us. Would that be all right with you? And I was just overjoyed. So I took that Bible and walked out of there just feeling so loved by God that he wanted me to remember to build my life on his word. The problem with that was it was like this thick. Layman's Bible, paraphrase. <laughs> and I'm walking around as a Bible-thumping follower of Jesus, like this. And so, as God has it, and we're on this road of transformation, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool to have something like this that I could keep in my hip pocket, and I could pull that out every once in a while to remember I love that little thing, by the way. I haven't seen that for a while. So very, 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 very cool. And God is so good to want us to have him in front of us. But you know what? Everybody starts somewhere, right? I could not have gotten to this had I not started with the living Bible. So I don't know where you are. But God certainly loves you. By the way, did you know that one of the threads through Scripture is that God is a God of unfailing love and faithfulness. And if he failed to be loving for one second, we could say, see, I caught you. You're not loving. I can't trust you. He will always be loving. Or I caught you not being faithful. Now, that's really our interpretation. That if we caught him not being faithful, we could say, you're not faithful, I can't trust you. By the way, because he's been faithful, you're right here today. You're here, clothed and sitting there and had a good night of sleep and probably drove a warm car coming over and you ate something. God is faithful. But everybody starts somewhere. And this is gonna be a year in the Bible together. And I'm super excited about what God has in mind for us through Nate. I think what's really important, and this really helped me as a new follower of Jesus, give God your best because he's given you his best. What does that mean? Well, what if your best was just five minutes a day? Your best is in the morning. I'm more alert in the morning, so I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna give God five minutes. Or maybe your best time is at night. I'm gonna give God five minutes. You know what's gonna happen? You're gonna be so blessed by that five minutes with God that he's, you're gonna think, oh, I'm gonna give him 10 minutes next month. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? It just goes and grows and it's super fun. Don't you just love reset buttons? Don't you love being able to plug into the God of one billion second chances. This guy, that's what I call him. God, you're the, for Mark Johnson, you're the God of one billion second chances. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Get back on that bike and ride, Mark Johnson. I'll show you how to do it. So as we embrace a new year, we must access the greatness of God so he can help us defy the odds of the things we're gonna be facing this year. 
You and I have to face our fears. There's a lot of things that could cause us to be fearful and they will hold us back forever unless we remember. And we have to reframe our problems through this filter of God's word. As we read his word, then our circumstances make sense to us, right? Well, then our perspective will shift away from our problems and, be, and, and, and become less significant and God's greatness becomes more evident to us. And that involves risk, which is the essence of faith. Two years ago, I bought this Bible for my son. It's a leadership Bible, it's kind of unique to him. And um, I said, okay, I want you to take this Bible and I want you to make your way through it as best you can and then uh, bring it back to me in a year and I'll, I'll go through there and, and I'll answer the questions that you've written down in your Bible. And we'll have some fun with this together. And then uh, I'll jot down a few uh, points of interest along the way between the trailheads of some things that I've seen over the course of since I was, uh, got my first leather King James Bible with my name written on it and then the layman's Bible that I toted around right on up to things like this. And so I'll, God has shown me some things and I'll, I'll share that with you. Well, so tomorrow I get to give him this Bible and some of the things I've answered. That's gonna be a special time, by the way. Whew. So he and I, my son Eli, we have a, a particular author who we've liked over the years. His name is Mark Batterson and he's written a couple of books about Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. Benaiah chased a, a lion in a pit on a snowy day. <laughs> that's, a, that's a studly dude that knows how to trust God and take risks and live beyond himself. So in giving this Bible to Eli, I wanted to write down Mark Batterson's Lion Chasers Manifesto because I believe that God has called all of us to chase the lion of our adversity. But I also like to think of it as the lion of the tribe of Judah who's out in front of us. That's what it means to be a real follower of Jesus. And so I wanna read this Lion Chasers Manifesto as something that maybe would be our commitment to God as we pursue being his followers and his people who remember him through his word in the year 2022. So I'm gonna read it from the Bible and I've got it on the screen for you here. Maybe this will be your prayer and your commitment to him as we embrace our year. Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Run to the roar. Set God-sized goals. Pursue God-given passions. Go after a dream that's destined to fail without divine intervention. Stop pointing out problems. Become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past. Start creating the future. Face your fears. Fight for your dreams. Grab opportunity by the main and don't let go. Live like today is the first and the last day of your life. Burn sinful bridges, blaze new trails. Live for the applause of nail scarred hands. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. 
Dare to fail. Dare to be different. Quit holding out. Quit holding back. Quit running away. Chase the lion. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.